With the Outlast Trials right around the corner, I, Suggestive Gaming, thought it would be a great time to take a look at the story of this survival horror series so far. As you may or may not know, the events of the Outlast series are a bit all over the place time-wise. I'm going to try to hit things chronologically, but as I often do for this series, I may touch on certain events out of order to better lay out the storyline. Also note that these games deal with some topics that are extremely unfriendly for this platform. As such, I'm going to considerably clean things up and gloss over some of the more graphic and disturbing subject matter to focus on the events of the plot as opposed to the subtextual themes and messages. Now, without further ado, this is what you need to know about Outlast. The events of our story begin in 2008, where two insurance mitigation officers working for the Murkoff Corporation, Paul Marion and Pauline Glick, are paired together to work as damage control for the company and its various scientific experiments that have the potential to go horribly wrong. Among their first assignments is covering up a string of grisly beheadings at the Spindletop Psychotherapy Clinic in Hatton, Texas, which had recently been purchased by Murkoff. There, Marion and Glick discover the murders to be conducted by the clinic's security guard, Chris Walker. After covering up the incidents, the pair hand Walker over to Murkoff. Murkoff's executive vice president of global development, Jeremy Blair, then reopens the Mount Massive Asylum for the Criminally Insane in Lake County, Colorado, which had previously been used by the United States for various secret black projects. Chris Walker is then taken to Mount Massive and experimented on as part of Project Wallrider. This project, based on work by Nazi researcher Dr. Rudolf Wernicke, aims to allow humans to communicate with the Wallrider, a swarm of nanoscopic machines, through lucid dreaming. Murkoff then develops a process called the Morphogenic Engine to unlock this potential. Through these experiments, conducted deep below the asylum grounds, Chris Walker is transformed into a disfigured, monster-like creature, which become to be called Variants by Murkoff employees. Around this same time, a woman named Tiffany Hope turns her son, Billy, over to Murkoff to be part of the Morphogenic Engine program, receiving a large sum of money in return. Soon, female employees at Mount Massive Asylum begin to experience psychosomatic pregnancies due to the experiments below the facility. This leads to Murkoff laying off all female workers and contractors at the asylum. In 2012, an employee at Mount Massive Asylum submits an anonymous complaint to the Human Resources Department about the lack of safety protocols at the facility leading Marion and Glick to investigate in order to prevent any OSHA interferences or litigation. The pair meet with Mount Massive's head of business development, Dr. Richard Traeger, to try to get a lead on who submitted the complaint. Pauline tries to get more information out of Traeger by going to his home for a date, but the doctor instead tries to drug her drink, forcing her to turn the tables. She then learns that Traeger had impregnated a fellow Murkoff employee before threatening her job if she refused to terminate this pregnancy. This led to her submitting the complaint, hoping to have Traeger transferred or fired. Traeger then attacks the woman, stabbing her in the abdomen with a pair of scissors. In the wake of this attack, it's learned that the woman's pregnancy was also psychosomatic, and Traeger is sent below the asylum to be a test subject for the morphogenic engine program. 
Over the next year, Murkoff begins to experiment on the use of microwave broadcasts to modify brain function using a Christian cult called the Testament of the New Ezekiel, led by a man named Sullivan Noth, who live on a commune in Arizona called Temple Gate, as unknowing test subjects. This causes the group to fracture when one follower, named Val, splinters off into a new group, which becomes referred to as the Heretics. Additionally, other members of the group are mutated from multiple extreme STIs into monster-like creatures known as the Scald, who get exiled to the surrounding woods. In September of 2013, a software engineer consultant named Waylon Park, working for Murkoff at Mount Massive, grows concerned with their actions, leading to him secretly writing an anonymous email to freelance journalist Miles Upshur, imploring him to expose them to the public. After sending the email, Waylon is brought to a massive machine under Mount Massive, used as part of the morphogenic engine, where he sees a test subject, Eddie Gluskin, who begs him for help. Waylon is then instructed to help stabilize the system as Eddie is brought in. As Waylon returns to his laptop, he finds Jeremy Blair waiting for him, who reveals that Murkoff was aware of the email he sent. Waylon is then taken captive by Murkoff's security and processed as another morphogenic engine test subject himself. During his captivity, Billy Hope is put into the machine and becomes the first test subject to successfully control the Wall Rider, using it to slaughter the Murkoff staff and security. The Wall Rider also kills many of the patients at Mount Massive Asylum while leaving the rest to roam free. All the while, Billy's body remains asleep in a pod connected to the giant machine controlling the morphogenic engine. Miles Upshur then arrives at Mount Massive Asylum after receiving the email from the whistleblower, whose identity he's unaware of. Armed with nothing but his night vision-equipped camcorder, Miles exits his jeep, leaving it at the entrance gate, before sneaking into the asylum. Inside, Miles witnesses the result of Murkoff's experiments on the patients, leaving them physically and mentally deformed. Soon he comes face to face with the monster that was once Chris Walker, who throws Miles off of a balcony, knocking him unconscious. Meanwhile, the chaos in the facility allows Waylon to escape his restraints and find a camera of his own. Waylon then attempts to escape the underground lab, and on the way, he is forced to run from the attacking wall rider. When Miles regains consciousness, he's met by a patient believing himself to be a priest, named Father Martin Archambaud. Martin believes Miles to have a calling from God and implores him to act carefully so as he can carry it out. After Martin leaves, Miles continues to explore the asylum. While trying to escape, Waylon overhears two guards talking about a shortwave radio, and he attempts to find it to call for help, noticing the exit doors are locked on his way. Miles then finds his way into the security office to unlock the front entrance doors, as he attempts to, however, Father Martin stops him, injecting him with a sedative to prevent him from leaving. As Miles slowly passes out, he witnesses a camera feed of armed tactical officers entering the lab, where they are swiftly killed by the wall rider. Meanwhile, Waylon continues his search for the radio, but his progress is soon hindered by a patient named Frank Manera, who gives chase wielding a circular saw. While Waylon is able to avoid him temporarily, the crazed patient captures Waylon and places him in a cremation furnace. Luckily, Waylon is able to destroy the brick wall at the back of the furnace, allowing him to narrowly escape before the furnace fully ignites. 
Elsewhere, Miles awakens from the sedative to find himself in a padded cell. After another patient unlocks the cell and allows him to escape into the surrounding cell block, Miles spots two inmates known as the Twins behind a locked gate, who express their desire to kill and eat him, despite Martin asking them not to. Meanwhile, Waylon finally locates the radio and makes a call to emergency services. Before he can speak, though, Jeremy Blair arrives and rips the transceiver from his hands before destroying the radio with a nightstick. He then attempts to choke Waylon with the stick, but before he can, he's forced to run as Chris Walker arrives. Waylon is then forced to escape from Walker, finding Father Martin writing a message in blood on the wall afterwards. Waylon then makes his way towards the administration block, to find a way to escape. Sometime later, Miles escapes the prison block and finds the message Father Martin was writing on the wall, which leads him to an entrance to the sewer system. Afterwards, Miles is cornered by the twins, but outsmarts them to escape. He soon comes across another familiar face, Chris Walker, who he runs from and soon evades. Waylon then comes across a patient named Dennis, who plans to turn him over to Eddie Gluskin, who he refers to as the Groom. Waylon runs from Dennis, but finds himself directly in the groom's path. Gluskin, seemingly infatuated with Waylon, then relentlessly chases the man, eventually cornering and capturing him. Gluskin then takes Waylon to a giant table saw before knocking him out with some kind of gas. Later, Miles finds himself being chased by a group of patients. He then finds a dumbwaiter, which he climbs into to escape. But upon reaching its destination, he's surprised to find another patient the former head of business development, Dr. Richard Traeger, waiting for him. Traeger straps Miles to a wheelchair and carts him off to a room with his tools. Traeger then takes a giant pair of shears and cuts off two of Miles' fingers before walking off. Miles then fights through his pain and struggles to get free of the wheelchair. When Waylon awakens, he finds himself strapped to the table saw, with the groom about to use it to mutilate him. Another patient then attacks the groom, giving Waylon an opening to escape. After a long chase, Waylon is able to defeat Eddie Gluskin in his gymnasium of hanging bodies, impaling the groom in one of his own metal spikes. Meanwhile, Miles deals with his own chase with Traeger. He is eventually able to reach an elevator to escape, but as it descends, Traeger attacks. Miles is able to push Traeger into the elevator's entrance and activate it crushing and finally killing the demented doctor. Miles then finds Father Martin once again, who leads him into the asylum's chapel. There, Father Martin leaves Miles a key to a nearby elevator and is hung up upon a cross. The cross is then lit aflame, and Miles takes his leave to find the elevator. Miles takes the elevator down below the asylum and is surprised to find the lab. There, Chris Walker attacks him once again, but the Wall Rider arrives and finally kills the monstrous man. Afterwards, Miles finds the office of Dr. Vernica, who tells him about the Wall Rider project before tasking Miles with killing Billy Hope to stop it. Miles then finds Billy's body and the machine keeping it alive, which he turns off. As Billy dies, the Wall Rider attacks Miles before inhabiting his body and possessing him. Miles crawls his way to the lab's exit, where he is met by Vernica and a group of tactical officers. The officers then open fire on Miles, and he falls. But a shocked Vernica realizes that Miles has become the Wallrider's new host. Afterwards, only the sounds of screams are heard as the Wallrider kills its attackers. Meanwhile, 
Waylon is able to find his way to the asylum's entrance to finally escape his nightmare. There, he's met by Jeremy Blair once again, heavily wounded, but with enough strength to attack him. Before Blair can kill Waylon, however, the Wall Rider arrives and decimates him, leaving a rattled Waylon to finally leave Mount Massive Asylum. As Waylon gets into the jeep Miles left at the entrance gate, he spots Miles Upshur's body, now controlled by the Wall Rider, outside the asylum. He takes one final recording of it before speeding off to safety. Sometime later, Waylon meets with a former Murkoff employee named Simon Peacock, who now seeks to expose the company. Waylon and Peacock compile the video evidence from Mount Massive, and knowing the risks involved with going after Murkoff, Waylon uploads it to the internet before going into deep hiding with his family. After Waylon's video is made public, Murkoff immediately put Paul Marion and Pauline Glick on damage control. After Paul creates a narrative painting Waylon as a crazy conspiracy theorist to discredit him, the pair trace Miles Upshur's bank activity to Billy Hope's mother's location. There, they find that the Wall Rider had inhabited Billy's body and returned to his home. Pauline enacts an elaborate plan and lures the Wall Rider into a trap before destroying it. Paul then notices the swarm of mist-like nanites infect a colony of ants, leading him to believe that their plan to destroy the Wall Rider was unsuccessful. Paul and Pauline then go to Miles Upshur's home to investigate, finding it infested with the ants. They're forced to kill them with fire before running out of the house. Afterwards, Paul spots a man following them and chases him, learning that the man is none other than Simon Peacock. Peacock gives Paul a set of coordinates related to Murkoff before Pauline arrives. She then shoots at Peacock, revealing that his body is rotten like a corpse due to Murkoff's experiments on him while he was employed. Peacock then escapes, leaving Paul and Pauline to take care of Miles' house. Paul wants to investigate the coordinates received from Peacock, but Pauline dissuades him from doing so. Sometime later, Simon Peacock leaves Paul a note at his residence, again listing the coordinates and stating that Paul's daughter, undergoing treatment by Murkoff for a chronic blood disorder, is somehow connected to what lies there. Paul's curiosity soon gets the best of him, and he travels in secret to the destination of the coordinates, Temple Gate in Arizona. As he approaches, a bright light flashes from Murkoff's microwave relay, causing him to faint and vividly dream of the day his wife died. He's later awoken when a man escaping from Temple Gate with a pregnant woman steals his gun from him, forcing Paul to fight him off, eventually killing him in the scuffle. As the woman runs off, Paul passes out from injuries sustained in the fight, and he's later discovered by a passing family who take him to a nearby hospital. Pauline meets with Paul in the hospital, and after a bit of chastising for his going behind her back, she reveals that the pregnant woman he saw is also in the same hospital. The woman, designated Jane Doe, showed up to the hospital unconscious, but was able to deliver a healthy baby boy. Furthermore, CT scans showed her brain activity to be identical to those exposed to the morphogenic engine. When the woman finally awakens, Pauline secretly strangles her before leaving with Paul. When Paul returns home, he's shocked to find his daughter now missing, with only a message on his wall in her wake, stating, You work for us now, written in her blood. Below the message on the floor, Paul finds one of her severed fingers. 
Pauline returns to the spot Paul killed the man with the pregnant woman, but finds no signs of the body. As it turns out, it was returned to Temple Gate by a high-ranking member of the Testament of the New Ezekiel named Marta. Two weeks after the death of Jane Doe, husband and wife journalist team Blake and Lynn Langerman learn of the story and decide to investigate her origins to hopefully uncover the truth behind her suspicious passing. While traveling to Templegate, another flash of light occurs and the helicopter's engine malfunctions, causing the aircraft to crash land. The landing knocks Blake out, and he dreams of his past at the St. Sybil Catholic grade school, where he follows a priest before seeing his old, late friend, Jessica Gray. She is then enveloped by a rushing wave of blood, waking Blake up. Blake grabs his camera and searches for his two companions. He soon finds that Lynn is missing, but the helicopter's pilot met a far more gruesome fate, as he was murdered, mutilated, and strung up to a tree. Blake spots a nearby town and investigates it to find it mostly empty, littered with corpses, including those of children. Blake then comes across Marta, avoiding her as she mutters her teachings. Blake soon finds a church, where he hears Lynn being accosted by Sullivan Noth, who believes her to be carrying the Antichrist. Lynn escapes her captors, and Blake meets up with her. The pair then run away from the town, hearing Noth over a loudspeaker proclaiming that his followers must kill Lynn and the father of her child, Blake, before the Antichrist is born. This comes as a surprise to Blake, who asks Lynn if she's even pregnant, while she doesn't want to speak about the matter. The pair are then ambushed by a pair of cultists who attempt to capture them. Luckily, another group of heretics, led by Val, arrive and kill the cultist attackers. Val and the heretics then take Lynn, who is referred to as Mother, as they leave Blake behind. Blake attempts to follow Val, but he is soon stopped by another flash of light, sending him back to his dream of St. Sybil. After snapping out of it again, Blake is found by a man named Ethan. Ethan reveals that he was cast out from the cult after Noth impregnated his daughter, Anna Jay, and he refused to kill the child, which Noth claimed was the Antichrist. His daughter, as it turned out, was the Jane Doe Blake was trying to investigate. Blake then spares the man the grief and lies to Ethan, claiming that his daughter is still safe. We'll be back after a quick break. Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomized genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Ooh, dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. Ethan then takes Blake into his home and lets him rest under his floorboards. After another dream about Jessica, Blake is awakened to find Ethan being questioned by Marta. Despite her threatening him with her pickaxe, Ethan refuses to give her any information about Blake's whereabouts, leading the crazed woman to murder him. After she leaves, Blake continues his search for Lynn. After another hallucination of his childhood, Blake recalls that Jessica had died by hanging in an apparent suicide. 
Blake continues through Temple Gate and finds another church, where a man is strung up to a wheel with his eyes gouged out and Judas carved into his chest. This man, Josiah, asks Blake to kill him before Noth returns with his wife, Mary, so as to prevent her torture. Blake then hears Noth approaching and hides in a nearby confessional, where he watches the cult leader and his men tie Mary down to a torture rack. They proceed to stretch the woman until Josiah finally tells Noth where Val has taken Lynn, the mines up the mountain. Noth then has Josiah killed before Mary is stretched to death as well. After Noth and his men leave, Blake follows to hopefully reach the mines before they do. After avoiding Marta, Blake finds himself in another hallucination. After snapping out of it, Blake comes across the Scald, and two of them, named Laird and Nick, find and capture him. Laird then forces Blake to swallow some of his blood to prove that he is their messiah. After passing the test, Laird takes Blake's camera, believing it to be his gospel, before Nick nails him to a cross to be reborn. When Laird and Nick leave him to die, Blake is able to rip his hands from the crucifix, crawling to bandages nearby to tend to his wounds. Afterwards, he sneaks past Laird and Nick, finding his camera before another hallucination takes him. Once out of it, Blake runs from the pair of Scald pursuing him, but is soon caught by them once again. This time, they bury him alive, but he is luckily able to claw his way out. While continuing on, Blake is again stopped by Laird and Nick, but the Scald then turn on the pair, killing them and allowing Blake to continue. After another hallucination, Blake reaches a lake, where he spots a man walking into it to drown himself. Despite the evil feeling he gets from the waters, Blake uses a nearby raft to begin crossing it towards the mines. Blake's hesitation proves to be warranted as the white light begins to flash, killing all the fish in the lake. A massive wave then sweeps up the raft, knocking Blake into the water. After frantically swimming back to the raft, Blake is able to reach the entrance to the mines. After yet another hallucination of the school, Blake descends into the mines, where he is captured by Val. After a cave-in distracts Val, Blake is able to escape and evade the heretics momentarily before they ambush and drug him. Blake is then brought to Lynn, who is strung up and now very visibly pregnant. Val then pins Blake down before he is sent into another hallucination. In this one, Blake remembers Jessica pinning him down in the school's pantry in a similar but much more playful manner. The pair go to leave the school, but are stopped by the priest Blake had been seeing in his hallucinations, Father Loutermilch. Loutermilch scolds them for what he believes was a nefarious encounter between the two before sending Blake home. Jessica tries to plead with Blake to stay with her, but he listens to the priest and walks towards the exit of the school. On his way out, however, he hears Jessica scream and he turns around. Blake rushes back, finding Loutermilch chasing the frightened girl. After entering a stairwell, Blake is shocked to see Jessica lying dead on the stairs with Loutermilch above her, seemingly revealing the truth behind her death. Blake then snaps out of his hallucination to find the cultists attacking the heretics. Blake takes advantage of the distraction and rushes to Lynn. He finds her and helps carry her away from the mines, but their progress is halted by Marta. As she winds back to kill them with her pickaxe, however, a storm rolls in and the winds carry a metal cross from the church, which impales and instantly kills her. 
Blake and Lynn then continue as the storm gets worse and the sun turns a bright blood red. As the pair reach the church where Josiah and Mary were killed, Lynn goes into labor and is forced to lay on the torture rack to give birth. After Blake helps deliver their baby, who strangely doesn't cast a shadow, Lynn looks at him and merely says, there's nothing there, before dying. Blake passes out with the baby in his hands, dreaming of his final moment with Jessica once again. When he awakens, he finds Noth before him, wielding a knife. Noth laments Blake allowing the baby to be born, and claims that after her birth, God had been silent. He had tried to kill all of his followers to prove his faith, but Noth still hasn't heard any messages from God. Hoping to find his answers in the afterlife, Noth then turns the blade on himself, slitting his own throat, and dying where he sits. Blake then leaves the church with the baby, walking towards the glowing red sun. As he continues walking, the sun grows, and a bright light envelops everything around him. He then hallucinates once again, reliving the memory of meeting with Jessica in the pantry. When he finds her, she's either a ghastly image of her dead self with the rope marks around her neck, or unharmed. Jessica then kneels down and leads a prayer, with Blake joining her, however he remembers her. It is then revealed that the final blast of light was caused by the Wall Rider, still inhabiting the ants, who destroyed Murkoff's microwave transmission tower. Afterwards, Pauline Glick arrives to clean up the Temple Gate situation, finding only one survivor, Blake, although he's left in a catatonic state. Elsewhere, Paul Marion is held captive by Peacock, who claims that the two have to find the Wall Rider. Peacock reveals that he was Murkoff's rough draft, and that the Templegate experiments were a way to test religion as an effective means to deliver the morphogenic engine process. As they found out, the test was a massive success. At some yet unknown point in the future, Paul Marion arrives at an FBI field office. Severely wounded and still bleeding, Marion is arrested by the agents there, before he's taken to a hospital where his wounds are treated. There, he admits to all of the crimes he helped commit for Murkoff, telling the FBI the entire story of how he got to where he is now. Elsewhere, Pauline Glick is interviewed by her employers at Murkoff, and she does the same. And this brings us to the final known events of the Outlast timeline. While this year's installment, The Outlast Trials, will take us back to Murkoff's experiments during the Cold War, hopefully one day we'll learn the fates of the characters we've met so far. Hey everybody, thanks for watching. Just a quick note that this series requires a lot of time, energy, and effort, and it's a lot of work for a single person to create with no team. As such, if you enjoy my content and would like to help support me like the beautiful people on screen now, I do have a Patreon or a channel membership option right on here, where you can pledge just $5 to get early access as well as special credit on each video. Otherwise, just make sure you like this video and of course subscribe with notifications on to see my new videos as soon as they come out. Also make sure you leave a response on my pinned comment letting me know what you'd like to see me cover next. I wasn't even going to cover Outlast, but the overwhelming amount of suggestions I've gotten for it over the past few weeks inspired me to get cracking and get this video out. So special thanks goes to all those folks too. You can also follow me on Twitter to catch updates and chat with me, or join on Discord to hang out with the entire SG community. Links to those are in the description, and I'll see you all in the next one. That's what YouTubers say.